Well, good evening. Welcome to First Baptist. Uh, my name is Will Face. I'm the youth pastor here. Looking around, I think I know everyone mostly, but we are uh, thankful for the opportunity we have to come and to worship together this evening. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it up to James chapter 1. I asked Hatcher what I needed to preach on tonight, and he told me preach on Jesus. So that's what we're going to do, but we're going to look at him through the book of James. And so uh, we have finished, I had been going over the last several months looking at the seven signs of Jesus Christ uh, on Sunday evenings, and we're going to begin a new series uh, over the next several uh, times that I've preached, and it'll be through the book of James, starting in James 1 and making our uh, way all the way through there. So we're going to go ahead and read in James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 to 18 this evening. It should be on the screen in front of you if you'd like to follow along there. We're going to read the scripture and we'll open up in prayer uh, after that. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let one, no one say when he is tempted, I am, being, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." Please join me in prayer. Father, what a gift and opportunity we have this evening to come before you and to study your word. And God, we pray that as we have sung praises to your name, that our hearts have been prepared to listen and to adhere to your word. And so God, we sit humbly before it. We ask that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that it would shape us as we depart from here this evening. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, the letter of James is obviously written by James. We find this out in the first verse. Once again, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. If you read through the New Testament, you will notice that there are several different James in the Bible. The James that is, we are referring to here is the half-brother of Jesus. 
In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, we see that Jesus is the son of Mary, and we see that Jesus has brothers. Now, this is Jesus' half-brother because Joseph and Mary had children after Jesus was born. And so James was the half-brother of Jesus. Most likely, looking through the New Testament, we also realize that James was likely not a convert while Jesus was alive. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, Paul records for us most likely that when Jesus appears after his resurrection, when he appears to the apostles, he appears to James, and it is believed that through that appearance that, that James accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so James, during Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, is not a follower of Christ. He probably heard Jesus' teaching, but likely he's not following after those. You can also see that in John chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. And then we also see, if you were to read through the books of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, chapter 15, and then chapter 21, you would see that James is a leader of the Jerusalem church. So Jesus appears to James in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. He is converted. He accepts Christ. He begins to follow after Christ. He becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church, and he begins to teach about Jesus Christ. And so he writes this letter, and we see through this letter that one of the themes that James focuses on is this idea of spiritual maturity and wholeness. And we see this through the passage this evening as well in the, in the greater scheme of things that James is calling individuals, people that profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to grow in their spiritual relationship with the Lord, to become mature in their walk with the Lord, to, to, to uh, receive wholeness found in Jesus Christ. Now, James is influenced, being the half-brother of Jesus, he's influenced by Jesus' teaching. And so if you were to read through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you would find some, some parallels with what James is teaching. And my challenge for you would be that as we prepare to, to walk through James together in the weeks to come and the months to come, that you may look through Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and, or Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and that you would see the similarities there uh, that James teaches as well as Jesus teaches in the Sermon of the Mount. Also, James is influenced by the book of Proverbs, particularly Proverbs chapter 1 to chapter 9. And so you see these proverbial statements and this wisdom uh, literature that James talks about. And throughout James' book, James challenges his readers to be doers of the Word. He challenges them over and over and again to act out the faith that they're proclaiming. He doesn't want them to just have intellectual knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants them to take that knowledge and to apply it to their lives. And so over 50 times we see these imperatives that, G that James records for us. Imperatives are just words that call us to action. It calls us to respond to what we are being told. And so James calls the believers to live out their faith in the situation that they're in. He's telling for us that, that, that faith, true faith, acts. That faith works. That faith is a doing faith. It's, it's a faith that, that is acted out in our everyday lives. And so we're going to break this text down into several different sections. The first, as we are already seeing, is in verse 1. We see the author and audience Secondly, we'll see in, in verses 2 to 12, the joy and the reward of trials. In verses 13 to 15, we're going to look at the origin and the outcome of temptation. And then in verses 16 to 18, we're going to look at the goodness and faithfulness of God. 
uh, two weeks ago, Babs and I had the opportunity to go to Disney World. And I have not been to Disney World since I was a little bitty guy, uh, probably elementary age or a little bit younger. And so it was an experience not only for Hatcher for his first experience, but also for me, uh, just the excitement of going and experience the Magic Kingdom and the magical world of Disney. And if you've been to Disney, you know that there's this thing called Fast Pass. And it's this thing where when you get into the park, uh, you get inside, but you're not done. Once you get into the park and you want to go visit Mickey Mouse or you want to go ride this ride or, or go through It's a Small World or, or see the, the, the Country Bears, whatever else it is that you want to go see, you have to stand in line, which doesn't sound like very fun to me on vacation, but you still have to do it because it's Disney and there's tons of people there. And so one of the ways to bypass those lines is to use this thing called a fast pass. And before you go to the park, you, you click on these links online, or you can do it there at, at Disney World, and it gives you admittance into these different rides each day. You can pick up to three of those, and you bypass the line. So if I want to go see Mickey Mouse, and rather than standing in line for an hour or two, or an hour, an hour and a half, I walk up, they scan my ticket, and I walk around all those people standing in line, patiently waiting, and I get to go in front of them and see Mickey Mouse. It's the greatest invention in the world until your three fast passes are up and then you have to join the rest of the population standing in line for hours to ride a ride for one or two minutes. So Disney World may not be for you, but this is the thing. As I was thinking about that and using these fast passes, a lot of times in our lives we kind of wish we had those as well. That we don't really want to, to stand in line, we don't want to experience pain, we don't want to experience difficulties. We'd rather have this pass to just kind of live a, a carefree life. Let me click this button and bypass all that, that pain, bypass these trials, bypass this temptation, bypass these struggles that I'm living in. And what James conveys to us tonight is there's a purpose to the things that we go through in life. That the trials we face and the, the temptations that we struggle with, there's a purpose and God uses a purpose for that to grow us and to trust in Him. And so standing in line may seem aimless at Disney World, but in, in life, there is a reason why we deal with difficulties. There's a reason why we deal with trials. And James wants us to understand that there is a purpose for us. And so the main idea of our text this evening is this. Believers overcome external trials and internal temptations through a constant faith in Christ and a constant love for Christ. Let me say that again. Believers overcome external trials and internal temptations through a constant faith in Christ and a constant love for Christ. So in the Christian life, we aren't given a fast pass. We are going to deal not only with trials, as we're going to see in a minute, and we're also going to deal with temptations. And James conveys to us tonight that the way that we overcome those things is through Christ. That by Christ's grace, we can overcome the trials that we face that we can see the good in those trials and we can overcome the temptations that we struggle with on the inside as well. By remaining in Christ, by having constant faith in Christ, and by loving Christ, by pursuing Him, by submitting to Him, by accepting Him as our Lord leading our lives and also our Savior providing salvation. And so James here says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, so we see James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's a leader of the Jerusalem church. He's this pillar of the faith. Paul would call him an apostle in Galatians 1, verse 19. And then he gives himself a title. He says, not a half-brother of Jesus, but he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
James does not boast in his earthly position. He boasts in his spiritual position, which is opposite of what I would do if I was writing a letter. If I was the half-brother of Jesus, I would let you know that I was the half-brother of Jesus. But yet we see how he has been humbled under the message of the gospel. He says, no, I am a servant of God, meaning that God has ownership over my life and he has authority over my life. I have submitted my life not only to God, but also to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying that they're on the same playing field. God and the Lord Jesus Christ, those are the two people that I serve. And then he says, to the 12 tribes and the dispersion. What this means is that uh, in Acts chapter 7, we, we see the recording of Stephen. And Stephen is martyred. He is stoned for his faith. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, after that uh, situation has played out, we see the, the church, the, the Jewish Christians, the believers, are scattered. Because of that stoning, they fear for their lives, and they are scattered throughout the population outside of Palestine. And so James is writing here, it, it's, a, it's a general letter, uh, it's more of a universal letter, it's not to a specific church, but it's to the, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, to those who have been scattered, those Jewish believer, believers who have been scattered because of the difficult situations that are going on. And so James isn't writing this letter when there's peaceful times, he's writing when there's turmoil, when there's difficulties. And so these, are, these people are dealing with frustrations and with trials, they're worried about their lives, and so James writes this in light of that. And so he begins by saying greetings. He, he greets them, and then we get into verse 2, and this is where we see that there is joy and there is a reward for trials. Look at verse 2. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So once again... As I'm reading this as a human, James surprises me. Not only does he claim uh, that he is related to Jesus Christ, rather than doing that, he calls himself a servant, but then he tells us to count it joy when we face trials of various kinds. Not many us, of us, because of our human nature, want to face trials with joy. But yet we see here the first imperative or the, the first call to action that James gives us in his letter. He says, count it all joy, regard it as joy when you face difficult situations. And then he says, my brothers, there's this, this love and this affection for the people that he is writing. And he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if you meet trials, but when you meet trials. It's inevitable. If you are a Christian... If you are a follower of Christ, your life is not a fast pass. It's, it's not a, a, the easy way. It's the difficult way. And so James says, when you face those trials, when you get stuck in those situations that you don't desire, count it all joy. John, would, or John chapter 16, verse 33 would record for us Jesus saying a similar thing. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So he's speaking to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, in this world, in this life, on this side of heaven, you will have trouble. Not that you may have trouble, but you will have trouble. And then James goes on to say, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So he says the, the purpose of trials 
whether, whatever kind they are and, and the numerous amount of trials that you're going to face, they have a purpose. And that purpose is that you would grow in your faith and it would produce steadfastness. It would produce endurance in your life. It would produce perseverance. And then there's this progression that takes place. He says, okay, first there's, there's trials. He says, through those trials you receive steadfastness. And then in verse 4 he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So he says that endurance, that perseverance that you experience, that also in its full effect leads to your perfection and completion. Not meaning that you're going to be sinless, but that you're going to be mature, that you're going to grow, that you're going to become whole in Jesus Christ. And so James says the goal of this Christian life is that you would be growing in that relationship with Christ. That as we mature, as, as we grow deeper into that relationship, as our faith grows deeper, as it remains steadfast, that we would grow closer to Christ. And so we see steadfastness. We see that it leads to perfection and completeness. And then he also says that you will be lacking in nothing. That the Lord will provide exactly what you need. And then in verse 5 he says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So he says, if, if you lack wisdom, if you're, you're not sure how to live out this Christian life, he says, ask for wisdom. Wisdom is basically, a, a very simple definition is the practical use of knowledge. So I can know something, but applying that knowledge is wisdom. So I can know that I should stop at a red light when I leave here this evening. It's wisdom to know that there's a red light that I should stop at and that I actually stop and I don't drive through that red light. It's the practical use of knowledge. It's applying that knowledge in everyday life. And so he says, if you lack wisdom, if you lack the understanding of applying what God is teaching you, then ask. And God will give generously to you without reproach. What he's saying here is that God will not hesitate. He will not reserve. He will not uh, regret giving you something. He gives it to you generously. And he says it will be given to you. And so the problem is in our life, a lot of times we desire that God would take away the trials and difficulties of our life. But James is teaching here, rather than maybe taking away the trials and difficulties, maybe God is teaching us to to know Him and grow our, in our relationship with Him more because of those trials and difficulties. But because of our human tendency, oftentimes we overlook those things. Oftentimes we go through the difficult circumstance and we don't see God's hand in it. We look back years past and we, and we can see God working in the past, but in the midst of that situation we don't see it. And so James says, ask God to give you the wisdom to give you the understanding to see what is it that I am teaching you in the midst of this trial. How do I want to grow you? How do I want you to, to lean on me and to trust in me during this situation of your life? Retrospect is 2020. We can look back and we can see the things that God has done in our lives. And oftentimes we look at this and, and that in our lives and we say, wow, God has completely changed my life and he was working this situation. And that's great, but I think James is getting to the point here that, that we can realize that not only in retrospect, but in the midst of those trials. Understanding that God is growing us and that he's calling us to know him more. And then he says, though, as you ask, he says in verse 6, let him ask in faith. 
Let him ask in trust, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Paul would say in Ephesians 4, verse 14, he says, Do not be like little children tossed to and fro from from difficult or or unsound doctrine. It's a theme that's picked up throughout the New Testament that, that we are often caught not trusting God fully, but also doubting as well. And so he says, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. If you've ever been to the beach, it is hard to judge the waves that are coming in on the shore. And you think that you've got one and you see one coming in and all of a sudden one's big and one's small. And so there's this picture of instability here of this change that takes place through nature. That as you watch waves crash in on the beach, that every other wave is different than the one before it. And he says, if you ask God in faith, or if you ask God for wisdom, ask him in faith, not doubting, not wavering back and forth, not sure which way you want to go. He says, for the person who doubts, in verse 7, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So he says, this is what happens if we ask God to give us wisdom, but yet we doubt God. He says, we will not receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, meaning he's going back between God and the world, trusting God and not trusting God. One of Hatcher's new favorite things at the house for us to do is for me to chase him and, and for us to, to, to play with, you know, as if I'm the monster and I'm going to chase him. And one of his favorite uh, stories right now is the three little pigs. And if you're familiar with the three little pigs, there's a big bad wolf. And he can tell you the whole story and we read it over and over and over again. And so certain days he'll want to start playing and he says, he'll say, Daddy, you be the big bad wolf. And so I'll, you know, and, and, and do that and start chasing him. And he will scream and laugh and start running through the kitchen. And then as I get louder and get closer, all of a sudden his little face just, he starts shaking. And he starts almost crying. He turns around and he runs back to me and holds me. He says, oh, I want, I want to hold you. And I'll hold him and pick him up. And then as soon as I touch him, he says, be the big bad wolf. And he starts running again. And we go through this game back and forth of me scaring him and then me comforting him and then scaring him and then comforting him. And then sometimes he'll be the big bad wolf and I'll run and scream and then I'll turn back on him. And it's this picture of him going back and forth, back and forth. He, he wants to be scared because it's fun, but then he gets scared because I'm the big bad wolf and I have to be daddy again. And, and there's, this, there's this instability there. He's, he's double-minded. I want to play, but then I'm scared. I, I, I want to have fun, but then at the same time I'm scared and I want to be comforted. And we do this as well with God as we say, God, I trust you and I'm stepping out in faith. And then as things get tough, we say, oh, let me slide back over here. And no, I, I, I doubt you. Let me rely on my own resources. And we go back and forth, back and forth. It's this picture of instability. And James wants us to get to the point where if we are as Christians, if we're going to trust in God wholly, we cannot be unstable. We cannot doubt. We must be spiritually whole. We must be spiritually mature. And so James says the way that this happens is that we face trials in our lives. That God grows us to rely on Him, to trust Him more through the difficulties of life. We could ask for God to make our lives easy, but the point is that in the midst of those difficulties, He grows us. And so He says, those that do not trust in the Lord are a double-minded man. They are unstable. And so we see that faith leads to wholeness while doubt 
leads to instability. And then in verse 9 it says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so James refers here to those who are struggling with poverty and those who are wealthy. And he says, the lowly brother, those who are poor, boast in his exaltation. Meaning that they boast in their position found in Jesus Christ. What James did at the very first part of his letter. He says, I'm a servant of God. His boast is not in his wealth or his health or his possessions. His boasting is in his exaltation of Christ. And then James says in verse 10, And the rich, those who have physical blessings, they boast in their humiliation, realizing that their identity is not based on their physical resources or their wealth, but their identity is found in Christ. And he goes on to give us another picture. He says, Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Just like that, he's gone. His physical resources will be gone. The sun rises and it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. And so he says, if our lives are focused on the spiritual riches and spiritual wealth, they are going to fade. He says, but those who boast in their exaltation in Christ and their humiliation, knowing their position in Christ, those things will last and so spiritual riches are, or excuse me, spiritual resources are unfading while physical resources are fading. And then he says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so James says, blessed, meaning that, that there is full approval in God's eyes of this person who remains steadfast under trial, who remains unwavering under trial. Because when he has stood that test, when he has remained steadfast in the midst of that, he will receive the crown of life. He's referring to here this picture of an athlete running a race and completing that race and, and receiving a crown, oftentimes a, a more of a wreath-looking crown. In Revelation 2, verse 10, he speaks of the same thing. Jesus says that we will receive the crown of life, meaning that we will receive eternal life. He says, which God has promised to those who love him. And so we see that we are called to trust in God's promises and not our health or wealth or prosperity. So we have seen not only the author and audience, we also see the joy and the reward of trials. And now we see the origin and the outcome of temptation. Look at verse 13 with me. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself, he himself tempts no one. And so this is the difficulty in the midst of trials, in the midst of testing, our human response, it often leads to temptation. When God is testing us and letting us go through a trial, we are also found tempted because of our sinful nature. And he says, when you are tempted, do not blame God because God cannot be tempted with evil. He is wholly other. He is sinless. And so because he is sinless, he cannot tempt anyone with sin. 
But then he gives us the origin and the outcome of temptation. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. If you've ever been fishing, you know that there's a couple of things that you need when you go fishing. You need a fishing rod, you need a hook on the end of your fishing rod, and you need bait. You need a fishing lure. And a lure is something that either looks like a worm or a cricket or a small fish or something. And what the point of that lure is, is when you throw it in the water, it looks like it's real. And it is going to entice that fish that comes by to grab that bait and to put it in its mouth and swallow it. And when that happens, you pull that fishing rod and the hook, which was hidden, which the fish didn't realize was there, entices them and catches them in the midst of it. And if you're a good fisherman, that happens often. If you're a bad fisherman, sometimes that doesn't happen often. But it's a picture here of us being lured and enticed. This is what happens in our lives. We see something, and we are lured and enticed by it. We don't see that it leads to death. We see it, and we picture it as something good, something that we desire, something that we want. And that's done by our own desire. It's a problem within us. It's not anything without or outside of us. He says in verse 15, then that desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And so first we saw this progression of in the midst of trials, he says in trials, trials and testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness leads to perfection and completion and it leads to us lacking in nothing. Temptation on the opposite end lures and entices us it leads us to have this desire to make this idol of something or someone or, or something in our lives. We're enticed to pursue that one thing. And then it gives birth to sin, meaning that we, that we act on it. That we, we are deceived by it and we disobey. And then in our disobedience, we realize that as we're getting pulled up out of the water as the fish is... It's going to lead to death. The thing that we thought was going to promise hope and pleasure and happiness is the thing that ends up leading us to death. And so temptation has these stages of, of desire, being lured and, dis, and enticed, and then disobedience, acting on that desire, and then that disobedience leads to death. Verse 16, though, we see the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So in the midst of this difficulty, as we face trials and testing, our response as human is, is, is often to be tempted to give in to temptation, to distrust God, to, to pursue the things of this world. We are fickle humans. We go back and forth, oftentimes wavering so many times. But then we see this contrast in verse 16. We see that God is one of goodness and faithfulness. Verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And so he says, in the midst of this battle, in this midst of this struggle of dealing with temptation and realizing that oftentimes we fall into it, James says, don't be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from, the, from, from above. 
He's saying here, he's speaking of the gift of salvation. He says it's coming down from the Father of lights. This refers to Psalm chapter 136, verses 1 to 9, and also 1 John 1, 5, where it says God is light and in him there is no darkness. There's this contrast. Here we are as humans filled with darkness, dealing with sin and temptation, and yet the opposite of that in 1 John 1, 5, that God is the same, that he is unchanging, that there is no variation, there is no shadow, no hint of darkness within him. Psalm 136, 1-9 talks about the, the steadfastness of the Lord, that he created the lights in the heavens, that he created the moon and the stars, that he remains steadfast in all things. And so James reminds us of this, that in the midst of our temptation, when we so often find ourselves wavering, that God does not change. That there is no variation, there is no shadow in him. He says, of his own will, of his purposes, of his sovereign plan, he brought us forth by the word of truth, by the message of the gospel, by the good news of Jesus Christ, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What he's saying here is we are a picture of what is to come. That as individuals see us, they should see that we are living for eternity. That we are not living to be satisfied in this world. That we are not led by our own temptations and desires and deception. But that we are pursuing God in all things. And so James says, in the midst of trials, count it all joy. Whatever you're dealing with tonight, whatever difficult situation you're in, whatever testing God has allowed in your life, deal with it with joy knowing that you can grow in that, that God is calling you to remain steadfast, to endure in that, to persevere so that you will be perfect and complete, that you can grow in that. And as you face those trials, do not fall into the temptation of distrusting God and thinking that he doesn't love you, that he doesn't have your best interests in heart, that he doesn't desire to see you grow and succeed in those trials. And so James says, trust in him, the one who is unwavering, the one who gives every good gift, who has given us the gift of salvation on his own will that was brought forth by the word of truth, that you may be a first fruit of his creatures, that we can be a display, an image of what God is doing in the world and that others will see our lives and that, they would, that our lives would point to Jesus Christ, that they would see the light of the gospel in how we live and how we grow. And so James teaches us that believers, individuals, we as followers of Jesus Christ, overcome the external trials that we face and the internal temptations that we struggle with through a constant faith in Christ and a constant love for Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that even in the midst of our sinfulness, God, that you are unwavering. God, that you remain the same, that you remain steadfast. And God, tonight we give thanks to you for your goodness and for your grace. And God, we pray that as we grow, as we deal with trials in our lives, that we would follow through with what, what James has called us to this evening, that we would count it all joy, that we would see the, the trials that we face and that it would lead to steadfastness and perfection and completeness in you. And God, we pray that you will give, give us the wisdom to grow and to know you better in the midst of those trials. 
God, that we would not just pray that you would fix our circumstances, but that you would use those circumstances in a way that bring you glory and grow us into your image. And God, we pray that you would protect us from temptation. God, we know that we are sinful, dark beings. And God, so often we are deceived by temptation and we have these desires in our lives and it leads us to disobedience. And James is very clear here that that disobedience leads to death. And so God, may we not be lured and enticed to think otherwise as we face those temptations in life. And so God, help us to overcome the the external trials that we face and these internal temptations and struggles that we deal with within our own hearts by being faithful to you, by trusting in you and loving you constantly. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.